And in order for that to happen, that we would even have a crown to cast, it's not just by being saved, it's not just by being in the race, but it's running the race as He has given us the instructions and in his, within His boundaries. And that's what we're looking at tonight. In Ephesians chapter 6, and let's go ahead and stand together and we'll look at actually two verses, verse 10 and 11. We've dropped down to verse 12 before, but we're going to look at just verse 10 and 11 and mainly verse 10 tonight, but I want to read verse 10 and 11. Verse number 10. And let's go ahead and read this together. We've been doing it quite a bit. Ephesians 6, verse 10, 11 together read, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Tonight I'd like to hone in and I want you to notice in verse 11, there's a word as you get about halfway through it towards the end, it says stand. That ye may be able to stand against the wiles, the strategy, the agenda of the devil. Well, God wants us to stand. He doesn't want us to be blown around and pushed aside and run over but in order to do that, we must look at verse 10 about this matter of being strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Now, I've emphasized that a lot over the years and talked about the power of God. But I want us to see tonight, I think there's more to it than just omnipotence, almighty power. There's more to it. I think that this is another key. I've said going throughout this, and I'll say it again tonight, here's a key. And if you would take all those that I've said are keys, you'd have a whole keychain full of keys because they're all keys to me that are significant in order that we might be victorious. Tonight, I want us to look at this thought, the believer's strategy. Before, we've looked at the devil's strategy, but I want us to see the believer's strategy for the battle with the devil. The believer's strategy for the battle with the devil. Thank you. Please be seated. A father and his son, the story is told, were traveling across the wild west in a wagon when one day they encountered a prairie fire that broke out. The father and his son, they tried to outrun the wildfire in their wagon but quickly realized it wasn't going to work. The fire was coming too fast. Unless they tried something else, it was going to catch up with them and no doubt consume them. Much to the confusion of the son, the father turned the horse and wagon around and rushed directly back toward the fire. He took them out to a spot that had already been burned and he yelled to his son, jump out here and stand here, don't you move. They both jumped out of the wagon, but the boy became afraid as he saw the fire raging and moving toward them. He wanted to run, but his father grabbed his hand and said, Don't move, son. Stand firm. But the fire is almost here, the little boy cried. His voice was shaking with fear. I don't understand. And the father explained, This spot has already been burned. There's nothing left for the fire to grab. There, the fire will come near, but it cannot burn again what has already been burned once before. The boy was safe because he stayed with his father in a place that the fire could not reach. 
Listen, as this, as this battle rages, as Satan battles you in spiritual warfare, he wants you to step away from the ground that has already been burned with the work and the blood of Jesus Christ, and he wants you to get away from that spiritual realm. Jesus has already been crucified. And his resurrection has already secured the victory. And the truth is Satan cannot touch you when you stay close to Christ. If you stand firm in the center of the safest location, that's the cross. Where victory has been accomplished, not just because of the death and the burial and resurrection, but because of the fact that this is according to the word of God that has been prescribed for years prior to the cross and has secured our victory 2,000 years even later. And when we stand victorious because there Satan cannot reach us. But how do we stand with Christ? How do we stand firm as verse number 11 points out? And the answer is in verse number 10. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We stand firm by appropriating. That's a word which means making it my own. We appropriate God's strength. Here's where we tend to get off. Here's where a lot of preaching has become popular. It's whenever we preach our own determination. We, we, we encourage people, you determine. And, and you become optimistic. And you become disciplined. It's positive thinking. But listen, positive thinking, your determination, your own self-will, they might be good for some things, but they're not good enough to overcome your enemy that's battling you in another realm. Instead, the Bible is clear about this and very emphatic. If you're going to stand and not be toppled over, if you're going to be a success instead of a statistic, then you're going to have to learn what it means to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And in order to know how to be strong in Jesus Christ, we need to understand a few things about his power and his authority that allows us the opportunity to exercise his power. Now I'm going to tell you tonight, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be truth that's given to us right from the Bible that could liberate and change your life. But for many, because of the terms being familiar, it's going to go right over your head. It's going to go right past you. So I implore you, do anything but put your brain in neutral. And don't let the devil, even in this battle tonight, tempt your mind to wonder and cease to get what you're going to get tonight. See, in order to fully experience the power of Christ, we need to look at how things began. I'm always, I've always been amazed, and I'm still amazed that about every issue, every single issue, whether we're dealing with temptation within the life of a man's brain, we're dealing with uh, the victory in the life of man, we're dealing with the leadership of God, we're dealing with the family, we're dealing with the home, we can just about find every truth and every example we need if we go back to Genesis chapter number three. 
And God's given us how it began to help us understand how we can battle. If we go back to Genesis and actually chapter number one, the Bible tells us that God created Adam out of the dust of the ground. And in so doing, God says this, this is key. He said, let them have dominion. And you see it on the screen. Let them have dominion. Now that word dominion is the idea of rule. Let them rule. Let Adam rule. And so God made a decision. It's a key significant decision. By letting mankind rule on earth, God made a decision to willingly impose a limitation on his own involvement in human affairs. God, he established boundaries where and how he would respond, either for good or bad, based on the decisions of Adam, based on the decisions of man. So it was up to Adam to use his God-given capacity to rule, to have dominion, to cultivate rulership. But in order for Adam to rule and have dominion, he had to do something that was very vital. And that is to withstand the attacks of the, the subtle serpent. The problem was, Adam did not withstand the deceptive attack of the serpent. Instead, he allowed that serpent to have strong presence in the garden. In the same way he allowed the serpent Satan to have strong presence in the garden is the same way we too have allowed the serpent or Satan to have strong presence in our life. And when Satan had presence, remember we talked about Sunday night, he wants to get a foot in the door. He got a foot in the door and he was, Adam that is, was forced out and the serpent began to rule in the place that God designed Adam to rule. What caused the transfer of rulership? Well, Eve got out of alignment with her husband. And her husband got out of alignment with God. That's why I tell you, we, we emphasize on purpose the un, need for understanding this matter of God's leadership. Children, obey your parents. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, you submit to God. And you have a whole uh, uh, chain in which that's to work. And when you talk about God, you're talking about the head of the church. You're talking about your part in the church. It is all significant. And if you want to break any of that down, if you want to just weaken one of those links, you allow Satan to have entrance, a foot in the door. You give him a foot in the door, he's going to take presence. And when he takes presence, he is going to kick you out of your rulership and he's going to take rulership. In other words, if you want to give him a ride, it won't be long before he begins to drive. And this was very cataclysmic because Adam fumbled the ball, the, the ball being rulership. And Satan and his team picked it up and they sprinted down the field and they went all the way down to Adam's end zone, red zone. And now they have the ball. Satan is calling the plays and he's running out the clock. And because of that tremendous fumble, 
The human race has been scrambling ever since. And that's what we're doing even to this day. Now, I hear this often. You probably have two people say, I'm trying to stop the devil from working. I'm trying to stop the devil. I want to tell you, if you're having to try and stop the devil, it means you're in the wrong place. If you're trying to stop the devil, it means he's coming after you. And if he's coming after you so that you need to stop him, that means he's calling the shots. That means he's running the show. He's setting the agenda. And the reason you're trying to stop him is that you're not on the offensive, but you're on the defensive. Now, Jesus recognized that in John chapter 12 and 14 and 16, three different times, Jesus recognized that there was a change in position, referring to Satan being the ruler of this world. Because of Adam's fumble, Satan is the one who now calls the plays in this world. Of course, Satan can only govern. He can only do what he does within the boundaries of a sovereign God. And God is the ultimate governor. And he still rules uh, and reigns. God does. He's not limited in any form or fashion. But Satan is ruling within this world. And he still does it through deception, through lies, intimidation, and a myriad of other means. But not only does Satan, did he pick up the ruling ball that was fumbled, but he also, when he took the rule, there was a curse that came with it. And this curse affected Adam and it affects us. It affected Adam's career. It affected his family. It affected his finances. It affected his children. It affected his security. And it even affected his life. And unless you and I understand the theology and the importance of authority, we will never overcome the curse that was handed off to us by Adam. And not just we won't understand it, but we will never be completely victorious in spiritual warfare. Now here's the bad news. When Adam fumbled, Satan recovered the ball. But here's the good news. You can get the ball back. You can live in victory. You can live standing firm in the power of God's might. You can recover the authority that was lost, but you also have to realize it has been secured for you. But we've got to understand how to take it and how to receive it. And it really begins at salvation. When you come to Christ for salvation, and that's why it's important, faking it is not going to help you. Going through, pretending, hoping you're saved, don't want somebody to think I'm not saved, you're the fool. You'll spend an eternity separated from God if you die without Christ as your Savior. But when you come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you receive the gift of eternal life, not through something but through the person of Jesus, you freely get that which cost him his blood and his life, but you will uh, be able to pick up that ball that Adam fumbled. You'll be able to pick up that freedom and that liberty that's found in Christ and the authority to be able to function. Through Christ's sacrificial atonement, you have already been repositioned for victory 
in your life. Remember, we're not fighting from victory. We're, we're not fighting for victory, rather. We're fighting from victory. When you get saved, you're positionally in victory, and we're going from the position of victory to experiencing victory. And so that sounds good. Well, let's find out then how. Because I find there's a lot of things that sound good, and I ask the question, well, how? How does that work? And if we're content with it just sounding good, because it is good, it's right, it's truth, but we don't get to, well, how does this work? We're going to miss it. So let me give you a few things here, and we'll get more practical as it moves along. Number one, I need you to understand something about headship and authority. Headship and authority. Remember, again, the pronouncement of the curse was coupled with a prophecy a promise. Where do we find that? Well, we find it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. In Genesis 3, we find God speaking to three different people, three different individuals. In verse number um, 14 and 15, I think it is, um, he's speaking to Satan. Verse 15 and six, 14 and 15, it's to Satan. In verse number 16, he's speaking to Eve. In verse 17 through 19, he's speaking to Adam. But notice in verse 15 what God says. He's speaking to Satan. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And this is talking about the curse. Satan caused a fumble. He recovered the fumble of rulership. And God is bringing with this, here's the curse that comes as a result. But he also in that same breath, he brings about a promise. The first promise we find in the Bible is absolutely life and eternity changing. You say, well, what is he saying? Well, here's what he's saying. In verse 15 to Satan I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between the seed, your seed, and her seed. Her seed, being the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to bruise your head. But you're going to bruise Christ's heel. That took place at the cross. We just sung about that, and, and Brother Smith sung about those nail-pierced feet. In other words, God is saying, Adam, you fumbled the ball. You've turned over the rule of your life and others' lives to the evil one by moving from out from underneath my alignment. Adam, you blew it, and you blew it big time. But I've got some good news for you because a woman's going to have a child. And that child will have his heel hurt by the serpent. But that same child, the seed of the woman, will crush the serpent's head. He will crush the serpent's head. Now, now don't gloss over that too quickly. God said the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. Now, let me help you grasp the significance of that statement. 
I want to add something to the end of a word and look at it this way. You're looking at it. Can we go back to verse 15 there, Brother Cherry? And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise, look at it, and who is he referring to there? It shall bruise who? Satan. It shall bruise, now look at what I'm about to say. It shall bruise thy headship. Headship. Headship means rule and authority. God is saying with the coming of the seed of the woman, that's who? Jesus Christ. The headship, the rule and authority of Satan will be crushed. And do you know that took place 2,000 years ago? Satan's headship has been crushed, eliminated, gone. The heel of the seed, Jesus Christ, was wounded in the process along with his humanity on the cross. But when it's all said and done, Satan's headship, his rule and his authority was crushed and Jesus Christ negated the devil's authoritative rule. The truth alone is enough for you to realize, enough for you to know. No matter where you are, you can always get back if you're a child of God. You can always get back on the offense. You can always get back to a place of victory. On the cross through the resurrection, Jesus Christ already crushed Satan's authority. It's a big deal and it's a done deal. The whistle's blown. The play is dead. The ball is now yours and mine once again. In fact, in John chapter number 12, when Jesus spoke about his future death on the cross, he declared Satan's ultimate removal of authority. Listen to John 12, 31 and 32. Jesus said, now. Now is the prince, excuse me, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of the world be cast out. And I, if I, Jesus said, be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now listen, that's very vital and important. And I want, you, I want to put it another way just to make sure we're on the same page. When you come to Jesus Christ and you accept his sacrifice for your life, that's salvation. You're putting yourself under the new head of state. Now, in our country, um, our head of state in America is our president, and that makes us living in some terrible, troublesome times. But we understand by nature the office that the president, he has what is known as veto power. And when opposition to the president passes a law, he doesn't approve it. He doesn't have to accept it. He can disarm it with his veto power with a single mark of a pen. Literally what may have taken days and weeks and months to put together, he can swipe right through with veto power with a pen in a moment. Listen, Jesus Christ through the power of the cross and resurrection has the ultimate veto power in our world. None greater. Satan no longer holds final authority over your life. He may spend hours and days and months and years and even decades pursuing you, persuading you to believe his lies, 
pressuring you into feeling that uh, you have no other authority. But once you realize that Jesus Christ has already defeated him, you'll be set free to live your victorious life of freedom in Christ. Listen, don't forget, Satan got pummeled at Calvary. He dropped the ball. Just as Adam did about 4,000 years earlier, Satan dropped the ball. He knows that, and God knows that, but here's the problem. We don't always know that. What you know and what you believe about a matter is vital. That's why we say so often we're Bible believers. That's not just a, a, a slogan. Doctrine matters. Truth matters. Will, he has a couple of fake guns. And the reason why I say they're fake guns is because that's what he calls them. He doesn't have any other gun but a fake gun. But he always will come in and say, do you know where my fake gun is? And uh, he doesn't have a real gun, at least not that I know of. But he always says, where's my fake gun? I need my fake gun. And there are some instances where you've seen and known perhaps in the news where someone was actually shot and killed by pretending to have a real gun when all they had was a fake gun. If someone came up to you and put a gun to your head and demanded that you do something, and it was something that would not be your normal choice of action, but you believing it's a real gun with real bullets might act under that influence. But if you find out that gun is actually a fake gun, chances are you're not going to think the same way. And I want you to understand that we don't have to fear the toy fake gun that Satan has. Of course the devil doesn't want us to know that his gun was emptied out at the cross. And so he keeps pointing it at us and he points it at our face as if it were a loaded gun. And we don't realize it's empty at times, so we keep bowing under his presence. And we don't realize that at the cross, Jesus Christ took any potential for bullets to be active in Satan's toy gun. And we don't realize that most, at the most, the devil can do is just pretend that he has a loaded weapon. And if you don't know that Satan's guns are not loaded, you're going to act as if you're defeated because you're going to believe he has power over you that he does not have. And that's how many of us live our lives. We forget that at the cross, Jesus Christ, he deactivated, he dismantled, he disarmed Satan's headship. Satan has lost his authority. But let me make it more personal. Satan no longer has authority, if you're saved, over you. He does not. But you say, well, that looks good on paper too. But in my life, I just don't feel that that's matching up. Well, that leads me to a second truth I want us to see tonight. And that is authority versus power. It's important that we understand authority versus power. You say, I'm living down here in the real world with real battles, financial wars, career battles, family battles, emotional battles. 
What about all those? Why am I struggling in those areas if what you've said is true, that Satan's headship and authority, and he no longer has authority over me, then why am I struggling? I don't seem to be living in victory in, in my wars. Rather, it seems that the enemy is being victorious over me, but you're telling me that Jesus Christ is the head. Yes, I am. And you're telling me that Jesus Christ is calling the plays and that I'm underneath his authority if I'm his child. Yes, I am. But that's not what's going on in my life. Those are good questions. And we all face those. What we tend to do is we just give up rather than getting to the answer. And so to answer them, we need to keep in mind this concept. Authority versus power. Satan lost his authority. When Christ's heel was bruised, Satan's head and authority was crushed. Satan lost his authority, but he did not lose his power. Satan lost his authority. But he didn't lose his power. Satan still dominates our world in many ways because he's retained his power. You know that Satan is just as powerful tonight as he's ever been. The things he does, they're real. They're damaging. They are destructive. He is, he will always be a liar, a thief, a murderer. His intentions are to kill, to steal, and to destroy. It only takes a glance looking around our community in this United States and you find out we're in a mess because Satan still has retained his power. I was actually looking at the, uh, went on the website today, I sent it to uh, a few of the staff but I was looking at the Children's Museum in Atlanta and the kids have been talking about wanting to go back there. And we went prior to COVID and since COVID hadn't been there and they've been shut down. But, but I pulled it up and, and I saw that they said it was closed today, but they showed June 4th and 5th, just on their main website, celebrating gay pride. And I thought, well, that's just being politically correct. But then they say they invite you to come for Children's Story Hour with a real live drag queen. I want to tell you, Satan's power is still intact. And the truth we need to realize and the truth that will set us free is that Satan no longer has authority. That is key. He doesn't have authority. Remember, authority is, is that headship. And authority is the right to use the power that you possess. And in order for Satan to use his power, listen, in order for Satan to use his power in your... See, if he had authority, that means he could use his power without your permission. He doesn't have authority, and therefore, in order for him to use his power in your life, he has to keep you from functioning underneath your authority because his power is only effective when he has the right to use it. 
So Satan does not have the authority to use his power when you're living underneath your legitimate God-given authority as a child of God to your heavenly Father. You're a joint heir with Christ. You have the, the deity of God. You have the Holy Spirit of the living God living within you. And when you're living under legitimate authority as a Christian, Satan doesn't have the authority to use his influential power in your life. Therefore, what he seeks to do is to lure you out from underneath God's authority. And when he lures you out from underneath God's authority and rule in your life, how did he get to Adam? He lured Adam's helpmeet out from underneath her God-given authority. And Satan, uh, in, in doing so, was able to get the foot in the door and Adam was drawn out of alignment under his God-given authority, being God himself who was given to him. And Satan has been doing the same thing ever since because he knows that you are secure as long as you stay in alignment with your God-given authority. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 is a great Great, great book on dealing with this. But verse number 13, it says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son? See, God rescued us out of the wrong kingdom and he brought us into the right one. By rescuing us through salvation, he brought us under the rule of a new king. You used to be under Satan's rule before you met Christ, but now you're a part of a new kingdom of which Christ is the king. Now, Satan again, in order to rule your world, he has to entice you to leave your kingdom. He tempts you to come out of God's boundaries and come back over to his. And the reason we don't experience more victory in spiritual warfare is that we've been duped into believing. Now listen, if you, if you check out any other place, I would have slept prior to this point. I wouldn't sleep from here on out. The reason we don't experience more victory in spiritual warfare is because we have been duped. And this, this would categorize much of the crowd that, that uh, hangs on on churches and, and hangs around as long as there's a pastor who lets them hang on, leeches. The reason we don't experience more victory in spiritual warfare is because we've been duped into believing that attending church on Sunday and just getting more information about the kingdom is enough. Or maybe we think that adding a Wednesday night Bible study will be sufficient to align our allegiance to the king. Or maybe we'll toss in an evening service and some, some praising and, and we think we've got it covered. But then what happens is we go back to work on Monday or we go back to our routine at home with our spouse or our children and we flip back over into our old way of thinking. We slide right back into the other kingdom and we operate under its authority. 
It's been sad, but true of the people who say, I don't want to be bound to legalistic rules. What do they do? They go over to license rules. They go over to, I don't have any boundaries. And, and that, yet they feel good. I'm calling the shots. I feel good. And Satan, all he's doing is just playing his music and you're just following right along. Why? Because you've moved yourself out from underneath the alignment of God and you've left your realm of God's kingdom authority and you've gone over to Satan's realm. And we align our thoughts with the wisdom Satan has set up in this world. We base our decisions on how we feel about the matter or how many of our friends, good friends, godly friends who tell us what we should be doing even though it messes with our alignment with God or we yield to our fears, what our fears tell us to do. And what we're doing is we're transferring our allegiance from the conclusive, the authoritative word of God through Jesus Christ. And we simply go back to Satan's worldly schemes. See, we wind up not being victorious in spiritual warfare because we keep flip-flopping. We're flipping sides. We come to church under one kingdom, but we operate on the job in another kingdom. We have our devotions in one kingdom, but we operate among our friends in another kingdom. We keep flip-flopping from kingdoms and we wonder why victory is not there all the day long, why it's not consistent day in and day out. We wonder why we can't get over the hump spiritually. We wonder why the enemy keeps calling the plays. We wonder why our prayers go unanswered. We wonder why our battles end in defeat and our power over our own lives just runs out and we're depressed and we're, we're, we're just dragging. It's because we keep flip-flopping from God's kingdom back over into Satan's realm of authority. And the opposition keeps intercepting the ball and returning it for a touchdown. I want to tell you the answer is simple. The enemy is victorious in our lives because, listen, we are yielding the power to him. The enemy is victorious in our lives because we're yielding the power to to him by not standing firm in our identity in Jesus Christ. You tell me where you're not yielding to God. And I'll tell you where Satan has a foothold. I don't care whether you're an elementary saved person or you're a teenage saved person or you're a college age saved person or you're a preacher saved person. It makes no difference wherever you refuse to line up with God's authority. And that's why many struggle. They come to church under one kingdom and they will sing and they'll have spiritual pretense under one kingdom. But as soon as it's time to put on their dress, they will dress like the world that they are truly in love with. And just because 
because their friends, they say, are going to heaven, they don't think too much about it because these are good people. In fact, this person, their dad's a pastor, and this person, their dad's a deacon, and so they've got to be good people. Well, I want to tell you, Judas Iscariot was better than any of them, and he's in hell tonight because it's not goodness that you ought to be leaning on. It's God Almighty, and where you don't surrender to him lock, stock, and barrel, you are allowing the authority of Satan that was crushed at the cross to exercise his power, which is far inferior to God's almighty power, but it's going to ruin your life. Oh, even Satan can prop you up. He can put you into ministry. Don't you think he wants one of his in ministry? As long as you'll let him have influence in your life. That's why whenever certain times, sometimes I'll get schools who will call and say, you know, we've got a student from Canaan who's interested in coming. I, I say, well, if this is what they desire, so be it. They didn't ask me about it. In fact, they didn't really give a rip what I think about it. And they've got in their mind, I just got to get to a place and, and that's going to make all the difference. You, you can walk with Jesus personally and it's not going to change your life until you recognize you can't flip flop out of his rule, reign, leadership and authority without it affecting you and it affects you every single time. It's just by the time we realize it, it's a little bit, the hook is already in. So, we are failing, anytime there's failure, it's a failure to firmly remain in the union we were designed to have with Christ under his headship. Married. That's why you look at places like Romans chapter 7, he talks about marriage, remarriage after a spouse dies. And I, and I believe with all my heart, he's not talking about marriage he is using marriage to illustrate this union with Jesus Christ. Paul's not just, hey, let me talk to you about cross and victory. And let me, let me touch on this matter of, of marriage and divorce and remarriage. Now, that's not what he's doing. He's saying, let me illustrate what happens to you and Jesus Christ when you get married at salvation. I want to explain it by way of an actual union of a husband and wife. And he's telling us in order for a person to remarry, their spouse has to first be dead. Now he's not talking about murder there. He's not giving an allowance for murder. But he's saying that you do not have a legal right in God's eyes to marry another until that spouse is dead. And once the spouse dies, then that, that vow, that bond, that, that, that which has attached is no longer, it's been null and void. It's no longer intact. And so he's saying the same. When we got saved, that severed my relationship, my headship to Satan so that I am free now to marry and to be one with Christ. Say, so why is that so important? Because here's the third thing. If we're going to wrap this up and put it together, it's our union with Christ that makes the difference. Our union with Christ. Our union with Christ is essential to our victory 
over Satan's rule in our lives. The book of Colossians goes into great detail about this. Look at Colossians chapter number 2, verses 8 and 12. 8 through 12, rather. Colossians chapter number 2. I want you to see this because this is what he's talking. He wouldn't spend this time. He's not just writing a term paper. And he's just trying to, to fill up space. Um, have you ever seen that? Well, maybe not. Maybe I should ask this. Have you ever done that? Uh, how many words this is? I need 10,000 words. Well, we're just going to spend a few pages just talking about nothing and, and, and just a lot of snow. And Well, Paul doesn't do that. Look at Colossians 2, verse number 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That is so, so powerful. And ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Woo! Look at verse 9 again. For in Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What he's saying is everything that makes up God, his essence, his totality, is in Christ fully. Fully. The only difference is that it's in a human body. For in him, that's Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead body. That, that is, deity lives in bodily form. All of the fullness of God is in Jesus Christ. Not some of it, but all of it. That's why Jesus is the Son of Man and the Son of God. That's why He can get thirsty one minute and the next, he can go out and walk on water. That's why he can get hungry one day, and the next day, he turns sardines and crackers into Moby Dick sandwich, and he feeds more than 5,000 people because he's the Son of Man and the Son of God. That's why Jesus can die and still get up. He can do all of those things because he is the God-man fully. Now, God and fully man in one person. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In fact, if we were to backtrack a few paragraphs, we discover even more. Look at chapter 1, verse 15. And this is good stuff. Um, Notice verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 14, he tells us this is the one that has saved us. Verse 15, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things are created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. See, Jesus Christ holds all things together. 
Therefore, if you find yourself falling apart, (laughs) it's a result of you not having stood firm with Jesus and in union with him. We're told that in him, all things hold together and maintain their equilibrium. So when everything around you is falling apart, stick with the one who's not. Now look over in Colossians chapter 2. I want you to see this. Notice these hymns, H-I-M. Notice in verse number 9. For, see the next two words? In him. Look down in verse number 10. And ye are complete in him. Look at verse number 11. In whom also ye are circumcised with circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In verse number 11, those first two words doesn't say H-I-M, but in whom it's in him, the same person. Notice verse number 12. Notice this one. Buried with him, with him. In baptism wherein ye also are risen with him. Notice verse number 13. And you being dead in your sins and this uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together, say it together, with him. Do you see the pattern? Our spiritual victory in spiritual warfare is intimately connected with him, in him, to Jesus Christ. So if we miss this truth, if we miss the key to our victory, what is that? Our union with Jesus Christ. Let me illustrate a moment here about our union. I, um, Captain Labine, started out on his um, marathon training and I started out on my drinking coffee black. He finished his marathon training. I didn't finish mine. And so uh, I, I, I... Start out, though, I start out with a cup of black coffee, if that helps. Um, my wife drinks it black, and she's one with one of our children to drink it black, but the other two, they've fallen into my, my weakness. And, and so I put cream, and I put a sweetener in mine, sweet and low in mine. But it, I, I will start out with a black cup of coffee, and I'll put that cream in there, And that's white cream in that black coffee. When the white cream goes in the black coffee, it's no longer white, nor is it black. It becomes brown. Now, if it's Brother Autry's coffee, it's white. It's just white. He adds white cream to black coffee, and it's just as white. It's whiter than the white cream somehow. I don't know how that is, but... um, and, and, and then he drinks it with a straw. I don't, I don't know. There's just so much cream in there. But um, So, so I, I, I put the white cream in the black coffee. It becomes brown. Now, if I take my cup that has black coffee, and if I go from the living room, and if I walk to the bedroom, my black coffee goes with me, but so does the cream because it's united with the black coffee. When that thing got stirred, it became united and it's never becoming ununited. (laughs) So wherever I take it, it goes. Wherever that cup goes, it goes. When Christ died, we died with him. When Christ arose, we rose with him. When Christ was seated at the right hand of the Father, we were seated with him. In other words, we were made to function in union with Christ. Jesus Christ is over all things. 
He is sovereign over everything. Adam fumbled the ball, yes. But Jesus has recovered the fumbled ball and has legal authority and victory in the spiritual realm. For us to access that victory, we have to stand firm under his leadership. How? In our thoughts. Let this mind be in you. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Think on these things. It's very important. In our thoughts, we must stand under his leadership. In our actions, in our hearts, in our decisions, on our job, in our home, throughout our lives. And only when we stand firm under his word and his authority will we be able to live the victorious Christ life in this matter of spiritual warfare. Friend, you can go to all the meetings you want. You can read all the self-help books you want. You can name it and claim whatever you want. But until you stand firm under the comprehensive rule of God in your life and union with the identity you have in Jesus Christ, you're only going to find a temporary reprieve. Only in Christ will you find authority to live in victory. Now I hear people say, and I love these two verses, but I hear people say, and quote John 8, 32, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And one a few verses later, John 8, 36. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And those are powerful verses. But as I look around so often in, in, in American Christianity, very few people seem to be free indeed. And the reason is, is that we've settled for the temporary rather than aligning ourselves with eternity. See, Satan has already been beaten. He's already been disarmed. The bullets have already been removed. He has a toy gun. The fumble has already been recovered. Jesus has already defeated Satan. He is already the victor. And you are in union, if you're saved, with him. So what? So stand firm in his authority by the rules of his kingdom. And you'll see his victory manifested in your life. He has already given you everything you need to do so each and every day. And one of the ways in which that happens is by putting on the whole armor of God. And um, when I return, the next series of messages, we're going to deal and look at the whole armor of God. Because the devil doesn't want, or excuse me, God doesn't want you to go out and face the devil, the world, or even your own flesh while partially dressed for war. So he's given us everything we need. And I trust that you'll recognize these truths so that we can truly stand. And in order to stand firm, we must be able to access the power of God in this matter. Let's stand together, please.